Hello, and welcome to Order Within, navigating a world of endless chaos and crisis. Many of us are experiencing inner turmoil, insecurity, anxiety, fears, and isolation. These feelings are only being amplified by news cycles, social media, and never-ending political madness. How do we find our way out of the chaos? How do we find strength within ourselves? How do we find meaning in a world driven by materialism? These questions and many more I aim to answer on the show. My goal is to be a trusted guide on your journey to selfhood. May you find what you seek. Hello and welcome everyone. I'm your host, Brandon Ward, back with another episode of Order Within. Today, I'm excited. We have a wonderful guest, Andrew Daniel. He is continuing. He's a part of this early journey of the discussions component that I'm adding in here to Order Within. I, I feel very fortunate to have him as a guest. He is a, an award-winning author here, spiritual teacher and director at the Center for Cinesomatic Development. Andrew is the founder of Cinesomatics, a feeling-based therapy utilizing video feedback and movement to assess and resolve stuck somatic, psychological, and emotional patterns. His latest book, Awaken to Your True Self, is a recipient of the 2022 Gold Nautilus Book Awards. This definitive guide helps self-aware entrepreneurs, artists, professionals, and leaders break through stuck cycles and genuinely wake up. Andrew, welcome, my friend. Thanks for having me, Brandon. Yeah, of course, man. That, um, you know, Andrew, I wasn't, I, you sent me a copy of your book. I'm new to your work, which is, and it's, you know, we had a great chat, uh, I guess a week or so ago before yep. we met initially, um, really vibe with just your general presence. And, and you seem to be a very authentic person to me, just the way you carry yourself, the way you communicate. And it really spoke to me a lot in your, your work. You know, I've read like yourself, read a ton of self-help and, and kind of been in this space for, for many, many years. Um, your origin story to your pursuit of, of self-development is, is similarly driven in the sense that I was very unsatisfied with myself, experienced bullying, a lot of the things. So there's a lot of common ties between our stories, which I'm excited to talk about today. But I got a long list of notes <laughs> that I was taking as I've been reading through your book and, and because I, there's a lot to cover. And so I, I'd like to, if you're good, like, well, for you, you've been at this for how many years now? 15. Yeah, that's what I, which is wild. And, and one of the things that I really loved is you didn't take a traditional path. You didn't go, you know, you don't have some PhD. You didn't go to like some exclusive schools. You know, you're not, you're not an elite PhD person no. or anything <laughs> like that. Um, your 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 work has primarily been driven by your own experiences and the things that you've learned. So it, let let's kind of start there to to give it give the audience a sense of what that means for you. I read your story obviously, but I'd love to hear kind of you know from your perspective how this all began. I know it started with warts, if I remember correctly. Yeah, your story. Yep. So literally, huh? So in the beginning, <laughs> um. Yeah, I when I was young, I had I had warts on my fingers even before then. I um, I had a biological father, and there was some sort there was abuse and um, legal things and courts and attempted kidnappings, and I mean there was you know mafia. I mean it was this is all before I was three years old. So yeah, 
Great uh, start. Yeah, great start. Um, but you know, I I had my mother who loved me and um, a stepfather who came into picture and, and took care of us. Uh, and then we moved, and I started school. And when I started first grade, uh, that was when I started to be bullied, and it was because I had warts on my fingers. And the long story short is that led to about twelve years of being bullied, um, being made fun of, uh, rejection, ostracization, and I really took on that victim identity, and that created a lot of suffering. You know, by the time I was in high school, you know, sitting alone at lunch, people throwing food at me, tripping me in the halls, you know, kind of the stuff you see in those 80s or 90s teen uh, nerd movies. That was literally my life. And, but during high school, you know, I, I didn't get the girl. I didn't have the big, you know, comeback or anything during high school. That, that, Took many years of healing afterwards to get there. Uh, but yeah, so I I suffered a lot. Uh, and I a lot of that suffering was self-inflicted because now I know I, I made all of that stuff mean stuff about me. But at the time I was just wondering why? You know, why me? What what did I do to deserve all these people hating me? Um and that led me to being very dark very angry, very depressed. You know, I thought of suicide. I thought of shooting up the school. You know, I, I thought of really, really dark things because I was in a lot of pain. And that set me to a point where I either said, you know, I, I either end this because this just sucks. I don't want to live a whole life like this, or uh, I do whatever it takes to figure this out. And as I said, the truth is I was pretty chicken to, to take my own life. That didn't sound very fun. It didn't sound like it would fix anything. So my other option was to do whatever it takes, whatever it took to figure it out. And so that set me on a journey of self-help and personal development. And I literally, I remember getting on onto Google. This is maybe 2003 or so. And I typed in, you know, how to be cool how to make friends, you know, how to get girls to like to you. you know, how do you talk to girls at school? And I, I was just so desperate. Um, but that desperation actually motivated me to do something about it. And so that set me on a journey for the next 16, 17, 18 years of all sorts of, all sorts of stuff. You know, I started a software company at 18. Because I was a nerd, because I didn't have friends, I learned programming and design on computers and everything. And so a lot of the things that cursed me ended up being my gifts later on in life. But while they were cursing me, they were still cursed. And uh, I started a software company. I got into personal development, self-help. I took a lot of different trainings. That eventually led me on a path of spiritual discovery and all sorts of transformations um, from there on out. So we could talk further about what all that stuff is and was, but that essentially was the origin story. You know, all of that pain and suffering led me to uh, do whatever it took uh, to figure this out. You know, it's, it's, 
I think that's one of the things that hits me deep with you, Andrew, is the the desperation component. Because I, I that was this, my motivation was desperation, and I've also been at the the, the precipice of my life is suffering. I, I can't tolerate it anymore. I either need to end it, like you were describing, you know, I, it's or something has to drastically change. And and when we find ourselves in those moments, that desperation really can be motivation, can it? And it, and I'm thankful because it it's led you to where you are. And I think the work that you're doing is so needed in our world today, man. I mean, in in because what we're going to talk about today really is is effectively the how to awaken to your true self, the, the whole concept that your book is built around, but more so, not necessarily so much the how-to of it. You, you've got a, there's a lot of techniques and things that you do in your work that is incredible. I'm learning about it as I'm reading through your work here, but I think more so really unpacking that concept of the true self and, and what that means. And because from what I've found, when you talk to people about this, there's a struggle to understand what that actually is. And and I've found in my own personal journey is that that gap between our authenticity and the the egoic self or the image self, whatever it is, the projected self. Persona, yeah. Persona, exactly. The However large or small that gap is, basically the larger the gap is, the more suffering we tend to experience. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> and I felt that too. And so I love that your journey was was built around your own suffering and so you had to you had to figure this out it was either i'm gonna <laughs> die because this sucks yeah. hate living yeah. or i'm gonna do something ruthless and and you also mentioned too that they're like on this journey of healing and 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 really and you mentioned in your book it's it's recognizing that we're whole now it's 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 kind of letting go of the concept that we need to fix ourselves the, the, the trap of fixing can be very problematic because ultimately what it comes down to is really just radically accepting who we are, everything, warts and all, no pun intended, yeah. right? Like that's, that's the, the game, but, but that's hard because yeah. society, culture pushes us, right, to, to, to think we need to behave certain ways. And, and so but one of the things that I loved, if we can just kind of get into it a little bit, because some of those pieces that you mentioned in your origin story are going to come up as we talk about some yeah. of the <laughs> concept, obviously. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's how I learned all this stuff because all this stuff is stuff I dealt with in my own life. You know, everything I write in the book um, is something I've personally gone through myself or something like it. You know, we all have different flavors of it. You know, I give a lot of examples and, and, and different metaphors. I didn't have certain kinds of abuses and stuff, but I've had some abuse. You know, I've had certain things and things around victimhood, uh, narcissism, the fixing, our stories being stuck. All of these things are things that I've dealt with myself and were able to were able to overcome or at least overcome enough that I'm no longer in that same suffering. And so I think that's one of the things that makes my work different because, well, two things. One is because I've gone through it myself and I've healed it. Um, you know, I'm not perfect. You know, I'm not on a pedestal or anything, but I've been on a journey and I've done the work, you know, for 15 to 20 years, I've been doing this. And a lot of therapists or coaches or writers haven't necessarily done that. I think a lot of times they just learn something, then repackage it and put their name on it. And you can feel that it's kind of empty. Um, and then the second thing is that I'm actually a practitioner. 
I'm not just a, a writer. I didn't just do this myself. I actually facilitate hundreds of people uh, going through this process and actually helping them with this stuff. Because sometimes uh, you can have a breakthrough. You can have an awakening. You don't necessarily know how to teach that and help other people do it. Um, and so that's those are kind of the reasons why I think that um, my work lands a bit different, why it, it tends to be more helpful than other stuff because of those two things. Well, I noticed that in, in your work is you were, you're pulling from all different types of wisdom, perspectives. I mean, ancient wisdom, modern wisdom, modern thinkers, ancient, th like various religions. I mean, you really are pulling from a, from a lot of different pieces. One of the ones that really stood out to me that I love specifically was the Joseph Campbell quote about uh, life has no meaning. We are the meaning. Like we create the meaning of it. And that really hits deep for me because it is a trap how thinking things are outside of ourselves. Like we're looking for meaning, you know, out here, out there. Really, it's like we are the thing that creates the meaning. It comes from us. And that's your concept of true self. This is what I talk about so much on my show is the same is that we are the answer. All of this is within us. And but when I first started on this journey, and I'm curious, like what your perspective is. I didn't understand what the hell that meant. Like when, when it's like happiness is within you, like what the, yeah. what the fuck does that even mean? Like, cause it's, it's like, I'm not happy right now. So yeah. it's not in me, you know, like initially and you get, you can get angry and frustrated by all these uh, kind of coffee table statements that is the self-help industry is full yeah. of, right? Platitudes. Yep. Um, over time, you, you start to, once you practice it, because I think it's important you said that too, is, is this is a practice. And though we do the work, we're never done. We're always, we're always evolving, moving, shaping. But to your point, man, like I don't, you don't share insights. You don't make deep impact on your own life and the life of others unless you walk this path. You have to do this work yourself. And what works for someone else may not work for you, which is what I appreciate about what you do is you're offering a variety of tools. Maybe this doesn't resonate, but this might. And so I love that about it. It's not like, this is my thing and this is how you do it. And if you don't follow me, then you're an idiot, you know, yeah. which there's a lot of that, you know, there is. Oh, I know. <laughs> but so I think- And I, I followed think, some of them and it didn't work. Oh man, I, I was trapped in this. I mean, you, you talk about your addiction to self-help. I was definitely, I had a period in my life where I was very addicted to self-help. Like it's easy to get trapped in the concept of reading and reading material to replace yeah, that with action. Hide, you start, yeah, hiding out in it. Exactly. But that's not, you and I both know that that's not the case. And I think that's a good lead way into, you, you look at the five levels of change, which I hadn't, this was the first time I had seen anybody frame it together like this. And, and the way you ordered it was kind of like mind blowing to me. There were many points when I was reading your book that I wish I, I like I had your number. I was going to text you because I would. But, but I'm like, you know what? Andrew's a busy dude. I'll just talk to him when we talk. But um, but the the five levels of change. Let, let's talk a little bit about that. Right. So yeah. you got I, identity, feeling, belief, attitude and behavior. And so I, you're the this is <laughs> you created this stuff. So maybe <laughs> I don't want to. But like. I love the way you or like most people start with behavior change yeah. and then work their way up. But behavior change is actually the easiest, but it has the, the least impact on yes. us long term. So maybe we can kind of talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So the, the hierarchy of change basically kind of talks about 
um, you know, at what level can you put in an amount of effort to get the most amount of change? So the hierarchy of change, I I never really said it this way in the book, but it's kind of about leverage, right? You can put in X units um, of energy to walk and you'll go so far. You'll put in X units, the same X amount into bicycling and you'll go a lot farther. You'll put that X unit into a car, you'll go a lot farther, right? Time, whatever that unit is, probably not fuel, but time, something (laughs) like that. And so what, what I put in there is this hierarchy is that most people go to these behaviors or attitudes, right? This is the motivation, right? Motivation is about an attitude, positive psychology. It's about reframing, thinking it and thinking about it differently. Behaviors, get up in the morning, do this. How do I say things differently? Um, so it, it's a hierarchy of change. It, it doesn't mean none of them work. It doesn't mean that you abandon all of them, right? Because you still have to have a certain attitude. You still have to do certain behaviors. Uh, but what happens is, is that most of the things focus on those behaviors and attitudes because they're the easiest to change. They're the most mass marketable, um, but they have, and they have the most, well, I, I, I don't want to say that, but they, they tend to have an immediate feedback. You change your identity, you don't get immediate feedback right? Like I can pick this up. This is a behavior. I changed my identity and it's right. <laughs> Crickets. It's more internal, but the amount of change in the, the longer long-term effect is much bigger. And so it's identity, feeling, uh, uh, belief, attitude, chain, uh, behavior. <laughs> the, the reason that I don't focus a lot on that, uh, and I'll bring this to the, to the point after we talk about this. Um, and so what what I realized is that you can change the identity, right? There's a difference between not picking up a cigarette versus not liking cigarettes versus your belief around what cigarettes do to you and what it means about yourself, then about how you feel about it, what's the actual emotional response, and then the identity of being a non-smoker. Those are all going to change. Those are all going to be different, right? Because I have a belief about myself. It's going to change the things below it. If I have an an identity, it's going to change all the stuff below it. That's why it's a hierarchy. So I'm a non-smoker. I don't have beliefs and behaviors. Okay, I got to avoid doing this. I can't do it. No, I just don't think about it. It just doesn't. It's just a non-issue. But in order to evoke change at that level, it requires uh, much deeper uh, work in reflection. Um, now, the, the interesting thing with this whole hierarchy, and it's really funny because a lot of people love it. A, a lot of people are like, oh, I've never heard of this before. This is amazing. But the reason I put it in the book is to, to move past it, um, right? So because, because of this, I say this is very helpful to understand, right? Understand this is where change happens. And we're working at all of these levels anyway. But this is where most self-help and therapy lies. It lies still in this hierarchy of change. Our true self lies beyond that hierarchy of change because you can't change your true self. It's eternal. And so it basically says, this is really helpful. Now let's step beyond it, (laughs) right? Because as long as you're 
living life in that place versus getting closer to the true self, you're still caught up in that same dynamic. And so the true self lies beyond that hierarchy of change. And so if you say, okay, well, if my true self, who I really am, is beyond all of this change, well, and I'm here, my life sucks, things aren't working, I have to change. What, what, what are you saying? I just don't change anything? So this is the paradigm shift, is that rather than adding and fixing in order to improve ourselves, in order to have a better persona, in order to have a better identity, because all of those things are fine. You know, you're going to have beliefs. You're going to have ways you feel about things. You're, you're going to have behaviors. You're going to have a certain egoic identity. That's fine. But the more that you work on those levels, the more it takes you away from your true self, right? You're adding through all of that adding and fixing. What you're doing is validating the lies that separated you from your true self in the beginning. And so the whole paradigm shifts with this is that this is how we normally approach stuff. And it's still helpful. It's still good to know this. But this work shifts into stopping and subtraction. Because if who you really are, if your true self cannot be changed, well, then it must be that it's not broken, that there's nothing wrong with it that it has everything it needs, that it is enough, that it is worthy. And if you presuppose that, if, if you hold that, then what it means is that everything is about subtraction. It's about removing all of the things that are untrue rather than fixing, because the more you fix, the more it validates the lies that separated you to begin with, right? Because if, 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 if that fundamental lie is that I'm unworthy of love, and then you spend your whole life trying to become worthy of love. Yes, you're growing and learning and healing, but it's taking you away from your true self. It's, it's literally, even if you get it, even if you say, guess what? I'm finally worthy of love. I did it. Well, that just really solidifies the lie that you were unworthy to begin with. Mm. And so... Even though we're growing and learning and changing and getting unstuck and doing all this stuff, in that paradigm, even though our life's improving, they're still suffering because it's still implying that initial lie was true. And so this work is, is kind of inverting that. It's saying that who you really are is beyond all of this. You Yes, all of this stuff, you have the identity, you have the behaviors, you have all these things, but it's about subtracting. It's about healing rather than adding and fixing and being more and doing and achieving all this. I love it. Well, that was what I thought is interesting about it is the, you have the hierarchy of change, but you, and you go through these concepts, but then you're like, that's actually not even the thing, <laughs> which is great because the thing is that true self, the, the self that is, as you said, eternal, always is. And it, what you're describing is also a tenant in a lot of ancient wisdom is like the, the story of, and I'm going to butcher this, but the teacup, you know, the guy's pouring the teacup, the master or whatever, and he's pouring the teacup and he keeps pouring and he overflows. And he's like, what are you doing? Why, why are you doing that? And he's like, this is you. You're, you're the full overflowing teacup. You are too full. There's nothing else in there that you can add to that because you're already overflowing with all these things. You need to take away 
You need to take away, stop overfilling your cup, allow your cup to be open so that you can be what you are. And I butchered that story, but I, I'm, sure, <laughs> I'm sure you're aware of what that, or at least familiar with those concepts. But yeah. it's the, the idea is, to your point, is we're removing the things, we're, we're letting go of the things that are, are basically clouding out or blocking out our true self-expression. That are not us. Exactly. But we've identified as us. Exactly. And, and that's what I think is interesting because even when you think change at the identity level compared to these, the, the hierarchy of change is what can be the most impactful, but it's still anchoring us to our human, small, limited yeah. identity in many ways. Yeah. And, and, and then we get trapped in the persona. Like mm -hmm. saying that, you know, I have the identity is, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm an author. Mm. Now, I use that to, you know, I, I use that to my advantage in order to get the benefits that those imply, right? I identify as an author. That means I show up in a certain way. I take that on. I own that. But it's not who I really am. Who I am is beyond being an author. But that identity is helpful. Putting that on is helpful as long as we know that it's not who we really are, as long as we don't make it mean anything, as long as we're not attached to it. And this is the irony, as long as we don't identify to the identity. It's then we're fine because then there's space. We can breathe. It's like, yeah, because we know it's not us who we really are, but it's still helpful in order to, to function as a vehicle through the world, right? It's still important to know that we are human. I'm a man, right? Because I'm a human, right? Like this has certain rules to it. It has certain implications to it. That is, you want to be in accord with that, right? You want to be in relationship with that. And you know that you're more than that, that this isn't only you. And so this is where I think a lot of some of the Eastern wisdom and maybe new age sort of philosophies get distorted um, because they're like, oh, I am not my body. Oh, I'm just up here. I'm, I'm this ephemeral being. And then guess what happens is that you lose touch with all of reality. You, you're ungrounded. You can't manifest in the real world because um, this is it. And so nothing ever works by rejecting the identities. You know, so this work is in one way, it's subtractive. What we're, we are removing what is not us. And at the same time, we're integrating all aspects of ourselves, And that's where we have the shadower, is rather than rejecting that, because the subtraction isn't rejection. The subtraction is stopping. Mm -hmm. And so we stop rejecting ourselves. Mm. Love right? it. And so that, that gets into the, the shadow work and, and other stuff. But back to the hierarchy of change is that the more um, we dissociate and reject that hierarchy, we have troubles too. Because we can't just say, oh, I'm just, I'm God. Okay, great. Well, now what? There's, so there's this great, there's this great Zen phrase that's um, first enlightenment, then the dishes. And I love that because it's, oh, yeah, just because you become enlightened or have an awakening, awakening, you're still here, right? There's, there's still life to do. And you're, how enlightened or awakened are you really if you're out of relationship 
with your humanity in the day-to-day world. So that gets into more of the spiritual aspect, but this work has that full range. Instead, I wanted to take those spiritual truths and make them practical and applicable because I know they're true and they have tremendous value, but how do you actually apply those things to your life in order to get the results that you want? Fantastic, man. Well, and you mentioned it too, which I think is interesting. You mentioned earlier in that the the component of a vehicle and because something, you know, drives me nuts, the word transcendence, I'm going to transcend the material. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to transcend the earth. You know, I'm just, I'm too much of an an enlightened being to Mm -hmm. exist on this Neanderthalic nomadic way of humanity. I'm just above all this. Yeah. We call that a, we call that a spiritualized ego. Oh gosh, it's the worst in California. You, I yeah. know you experienced it in yeah. LA. Not only did I experience it, I did it myself. So Felt that, right. That's that's how I, I know. <laughs> it's well, and I, I, dude, I've I've been at points there too where you 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 see there's an elitism to yourself and and what you're how you view others in the world. But as as you progress in the work, you realize that that's that's not like that's not going to get us where we really need to be. And and the word vehicle, I think, is important because once you understand this, that we are the avatar. We are the the commander of our existence. Everything becomes a vehicle. You you said author, you know, you're talking about you as a spiritual teacher. Like those are vehicles for you to express your true self in the world. Like just just like our physical body, our voice, everything is a vehicle for the expression of that true self. And when we uh, when we can view it as a vehicle, there is a sense of separation. Like I'm not my car when I'm driving it. I don't all of a sudden become Toyota. Like I'm just I'm using it as a means. But, in, but it's still an extension of yourself when you're driving. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like we're still behind the wheel manning it. And I'm take it's it's taking me in a way where I want to be in a in a more efficient manner, all of those things. So it is an extension of my desire, right? My intention. Yeah. And this is this is also, you know, it's like it's so funny because uh, a lot of in a lot of religions this would be blasphemy, but it's really it, right? If you think about Christianity, God made man in his image. Man is an extension of God and God's will. And so our true self is, people always say, yeah, but, you know, you, you, you know, your will is, is not as grand as God's will and all this stuff. So, so I want to talk about this for a second, because this is interesting. Because there, there's this conflict and there's this certain conflict of Oh, all right. So if I listen to my true self, right, if if this is a body, me here, my persona, this is all an extension of my true self. Okay. And then you say that that could be that could become very narcissistic, right? So this is what happens sometimes is that we start identifying to the vehicle the ve- and the teachings. And so it all becomes about us. And then you have the other spiritual, right? Because it's like, all right, you are a creator. All right, you are God. All right, great. Cool. Okay. Um, but for a lot of people, what happens is it becomes very narcissistic. Ask me how I know. <laughs> right? And so then you have this, conf- this seemingly conflicting teaching of it's not about you. Right? It's not about you, your ego. No, surrender it to God. Right? Surrender it to the Holy Spirit. You know, surrender it to that. You know, what God wants of you is, is greater than anything you could want of yourself. And that is beautiful. Like that, that is, is, 
divine. It is touching. But how do you rectify those two? Mm. Um, because for a lot of people, they're um, irreconcilable, right? It's like I have to abandon myself and then submit to the will of God. It's very Old Testament, old school way of seeing it. With the Eastern wisdom, this is how I see it. What I found out is that, well, your true self, what if that TS equals G-O-D? <laughs> what, what if you're an extension of God in that voice? And so that will, your truth, the will of your true self is the will of God or an extension of it in some way. And so it could never be wrong. Now, the problem is getting that will uh, accurately, right? Having it not being distorted by the ego, not being projected, not having all the traumas. Because when you start doing all of that stuff, yeah, then it gets really distorted and you create a lot of pain and suffering. Um, and then you could even go further is that, all right, well, this is your will. So we have free will and we have the will to suffer if we want to. And that's okay too. And so you can you can take this to many levels, and you start to get these conflicts between these these principles. But I I really don't think they're in conflict. I think that if you can move past your identity, your ego wants and desires, there's something greater than you. Identify to that. That's what this is all about. Identify to the will of God. Identify to your true self, because that is who you really are. And then from that, it's going to inform you and it won't be in conflict, right? You're not going to do things in conflict because who you really are is in accord with, you could call it, I call it the Tao, right? The, the, just how the, the will of the universe, the will of God, nature, physics. I mean, these are all kind of different words to the same thing. And so when we're, tr we're, we're doing this transformative work, rather than getting caught up in all of that stuff. We, we want to align with that. And different people and different faiths have different ways of going about it. Um, but one of the things that I discovered in the cinesomatic work, uh, where I use embodiment and movement and video, is that that surrender to something greater than yourself needs to be surrender, not self-abandonment or mm. martyrdom. Because it's really easy from these teachings to go into martyrdom, to abandon yourself, and to be a victim, and to give mm -hmm. all your power away. And so you, you come back and say, all right, I'm not my ego, right? There, there is, I, I want, I know I need to surrender to something greater than my ego. But you don't abandon yourself and give all of your power away in order to do that. Uh, I know I know we're going a little off topic, but that's just kind of where it wanted to take me because it's still it, it shows that when you align with the true self, this conversation is completely different than, all right, do I have decaf or or caffeinated coffee today in order to be more motivated? Right, it's it's a completely different conversation that's going to orient your life in a completely different way. Well, and Andrew, I think I love it because it's a deviation, really, where we, because for me, 
I had a lot of those struggles, especially early on in my early 20s, this concept, because I've always felt spiritual and faith oriented. I mean, I wear a cross around my neck, not because I'm a traditional Christian, but I, I resonate. I've always resonated very deeply with the man that is Christ and the, mission, the, the life that he lived, not necessarily even the stuff that we we're told in the Bible, per se. But I've always been drawn to him and that energy and the Christos energy. Right. Yeah. So. But something that I struggled with early on was this concept of surrendering to the will of God. And as I've gotten older and as I've you know, healed and done this work, I've come to realize that that there's been desires, pulls within me that have not left me that I can't shake. I've tried to abandon them and they will not abandon me. And what I've come to realize is that what I thought was my own will has actually, in fact, been that true self calling me forward. And for me, as a faith-oriented person, that's God leading my life. And what I couldn't do when I was young was surrender. I was fearful of surrendering. I thought it meant I would be no longer, I was no longer here. I would lose yeah. myself, yeah. right? Annihilation. Yeah. Exactly. And that's a terrifying concept for people. But what, what, we, what, what I learned and what we have to realize is that when we truly do align with the will of God, it is aligned to our true self. We can't imagine a better version of our life that we could live on earth that is outside of God's <laughs> will. Like that's the, yeah, it's, that's it's, the secret. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's so funny too, because I've had these thoughts and it's like, well, what if God wants something different than what I want? I don't want to do this, right? It's just, it's just so funny, right? It's like this idea that, this idea that what God wants for us is somehow going to not be as good as what we want for ourselves, right? Is that it's it's surrendering to that, but that's mm -hmm. the ego, right? That's not us. That's the ego, and it does feel like annihilation. It's it's that metaphor or analogy of, um, you know, a drop of water falling into the ocean, and everybody gets fixated on being the drop of water that's no longer a drop, and but we miss out on the fact that now we're the ocean, exactly. And we're still conscious as an that space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it does require that death and it, that it's terrifying. But that's, that becomes more of the mystical work and the mystical experience. The, the death, though, the death of the ego is a real thing, man. We all go through some form of it when we do this work. Like, we, we, you, there is a point when you realize I have to shed those things. Like, we, we were talking about earlier in the conversation, the subtraction component. Because... Our society, our culture, the way we're raised, our parents, and this is not, some of it, I believe, is absolutely intentional, <laughs> yeah. the way, but from a parental perspective, most parents, I genuinely believe, are doing the best that they can with what they've had, the upbringing that they've had, but we can get jacked up from, like, the way <laughs> we're raised. So, yeah. so that's a lot of that subtraction that we have to focus on that can be hard. Because ultimately what it's getting to is, is surrendering the things that are not us, coming back to surrender again, letting go of those things that are not us. But what ends up happening is it creates space for our true self to emerge and come into the place of that. So there's, there's not an absence. There's a void for a moment, but the, the, the space is cleared, which allows that truth to come in. And what we don't realize when we're not there yet is that's where our power, that peace, that inner serenity comes is when we open when we start to drop those things and we allow that will to fill us we now become this just as you said we now become the ocean dude if i have the choice between a drop or an ocean 
bro, it's pretty simple. Like, let's be the ocean. Yeah, but not when you're the drop. Yeah, exactly. Right. Because <laughs> now you're you're lost in it. But it's yeah. so it is very contradictory. I mean, a lot of this. I think that's what makes doing this work so challenging is that if you're taking it purely from an intellectual level, so many of these concepts just cancel each other out. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do it that way. No. That's why the feeling is so crucial. Exactly. And you have to be able to embody the paradox. Exactly. Yep. And, yep. and I think one way to, to understand it too, is kind of the, the Eastern and Western philosophies often are in direct um, um, competition, right? They're, they're in opposition. The, the East is an identification with the divine and the West is a relationship to the divine. Mm. Th those are, th those are the opposite. <laughs> uh, one says you are it. And the other one says you are not it, but you have to relate to it. And then, and, but what I found is that both are true. And I, how do you reconcile that both are true? Because I go into that place of surrendering to the will of God or, or communing and the beauty and the art that's made from devotion and to that myst mystical dimension. And I also feel and see that I am one. Tatvamasi, thou art that. You're it. You're the thing. You're the ocean. You're the drop. You're the whole thing. And while we're here, there's still a, re a relationship to it. And so for me, being able to embody and reconcile that fundamental paradox, you know, along with life has no meaning and like life means nothing and it means everything. Um, and also there's a great uh, quote that I think does really good with this is be noble for you are made of the stars. Be humble for you are made of the earth. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's bringing those two together. We, we live in such a polarized world where everybody wants it to be either or. But when you can bring them both together, it's like east, west, uh, left, left hemisphere, right hemisphere, the masculine and the feminine, the yin and yang, bringing oneness and duality together into this non-dual Advanta place. Um, it's like, oh, oh, my, yeah, it all makes sense. But it doesn't Beautiful. make any sense until you actually experience it and embody it. And that's that's what I love about the work that I do with the cinematics is that it's not theory. We don't just sit around talking about this stuff. We actually get people to experience this for themselves in their own body. These spiritual truths um, get revealed and we're able to identify and see them through the work. And so having an embodiment is a knowing. This is why it's not about belief. I'm not talking about believing this stuff. I'm talking about knowing it. You have Once you have a direct experience of it, you know it. I don't go around saying, oh my God, I need to believe that gravity is going to work today, or I'm going to float off into the freaking stars Oh my God, I got to focus. I got to do my gravity affirmations. <laughs> no. It would be exhausting if we had to do that. Holy yeah. crap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so that's, you know, that's why the knowing and the trust um, has to be experienced uh, or else you're just working on belief.
That's also why you can't convince anyone else that something exists. That's why for me, I know God exists because I've experienced God in my own way. But I'm not going to, I can't tell you that. I can't show you that. I can't force you to believe those things based on that. You really do have to experience these things for yourself to understand, to anchor that into yourself. I mean, ultimately, that's what it is. You end up, because you can't. That's why, like, changing people's minds is impossible. You, you, can, you can share concepts, and then they have to take it and run with it and apply it in their life. Otherwise, it's, it's just empty. It's, it's nothing. So I, I love to, like, the <clears throat> around belief and knowing is powerful. It's the, and I love that your work is about creating those experiences of, of feeling it, of knowing it in someone's own body, in their own existence, because that is how you have the breakthroughs. It's not the intellectual component. What I've learned, Andrew, for me is I've always been a deep feeler. It's it, when I was young, it was a, a huge burden. Like my family didn't know how to deal with it. It was just, I grew up in West Virginia originally. So it's just like, bro, boys don't feel, you know, like, what, yeah. what is that? Like, so I was always more of like a poet, very sensitive. But as I got older, I struggled mightily because I identified with that, that feminine component. I was downsizing my masculine energy. But what I come to realize is embracing my masculinity combined with my feminine energy is ultimately where I found that, that true inner peace because I had been rejecting entire parts of myself. But the, the feeling component is so important and we're such a intellectually driven society. And we don't even realize it. We think we have feelings. And people mistake feelings with emotional reactions. People emotionally react to tons of stuff. That is not emotional wisdom and, and really being connected to our feelings. And so, like, there's a, I've got a lot of notes because I want to talk. I love the, like, we're kind of sliding into some of the narcissistic components, which is really, like, I think as I've learned and have been learning more about narcissism, and I want to give, I want to give some kudos to you for our chat because it's really inspired me. I've been looking into, I knew of Dr. Lowen around bioenergenetics. I didn't realize the work that he had done on narcissism, reading your book. It's just like, once you start to understand the tenets of narcissism and how this manifests in our world, you see it everywhere and you understand why people are like, you get why everyone's miserable. Yeah. And it's not what we think. It's not. It's not people loving, obsessed with themselves. Yeah. That's what people no. think. It's not that at all, actually. It's, it's the opposite. Yeah. They don't even know themselves. They actually kind of load themselves. So, so Andrew, let's, let's, let's kind of dive into that because I think that's a good segue into, into that component from, from where we are. So you, you told me when we first spoke that understanding narcissism or at least narcissism from this perspective really helped your worldview. Let's kind of unpack that a little bit if we can. Yeah, so... Um, hi, my name is Andrew. I'm a narcissist. <laughs> all of us are. All of us yeah. are. All of us are. Uh, we all have to deal with these things, right? So, yeah. So, one of, one of the biggest things uh, with narcissism, um, well, there, there's a few levels here, but one of them that I think uh, really gets in our way is that we think it's always someone else. There's very little literature on helping people who are doing narcissistic things stop. Almost 99% of it, you go on Amazon, you, you look all the stuff up. It's how to deal with a narcissist, how to recover from a narcissist. 
Um, and that's fine, right? Like that's really important. There's a lot of narcissism. I've had many, many clients that come in who had narcissistic parents and it's textbook. I see exactly what that results in. And so that's, that's really important. Um, however, what is very little out there is on how do we address our own narcissism? Now, it doesn't mean this is narcissistic personality, borderline personality disorder, whatever the hell. This isn't some DSM thing. Um, everything that I talk about is, um, you know, it's not a medical diagnostic. It's a real world um, thing. So I don't, I spent a lot of time in the book redefining things because the definitions that a lot of people have don't work. They may be textbook definitions, but they don't work. Um, and so narcissism and victim, being a victim, uh, is, is one of those. And so I spent a lot of time really defining, redefining what responsibility is, what, narcissis what narcissism is, ego, true self, all of these things, because our words define our reality, right? When we go and look around, many of us think in words, right? We're, we're wording our way through life along with pictures and feelings and other stuff. But if we only have, let's say, four words to define how we feel, happy, sad, angry, silly, that's we're, we're going to be living a life within that box. Now, we're going to have experiences inside, but as we define it and communicate and create things in life, it's going to be very limited. Um, so the, the definitions we have are really, really important. And as a side note, if you look at what's happening in the world right now, um, the definitions for things that are self-evident are under attack uh, and they're being changed. Things that are self-evident and obvious um, for tens of thousands of years now are being put into question and confusing a lot of people. And when people don't know how to define themselves and what's going on, they're confused. Uh, it's very, very, very easy to manipulate them. Um, so there is a, there, there is something to understand that in the world right now, uh, yes, it is important what these words mean and how we define them because it creates a reality. Um, and it allows us to function in the world. So with that, the, the definition of these things, um, including narcissism, is very important. And so how I define narcissism in this work, not if you're going to see a psychiatrist, but in this work, um, you know, a narcissism isn't somebody who actually is in love with himself. It's somebody who's in love with an image. And this, if you go back to the story of Narcissus and Echo, where this comes from, from Ovid, it talks about um, Narcissus looking into a pond and seeing a mirrored reflection. And so he falls in love with an image of himself. There's nothing there. It's, it's water. It's a reflection. The image doesn't exist, but he's in love with it. And you say, okay, that, that's fair enough. That's, those are all the people that are taking selfies in the mirrors and obsessed with themselves in the mirrors. Sure, yes. And it goes deeper. And how it goes deeper is that 
when we have an image of ourselves, of who we want to be, oh, I'm a good person. Oh, good mothers don't do that. Oh, good wives don't do that. Oh, a good man doesn't do that. Or I'm um, from, I'm this race or I'm this, this ethnicity. Oh, Sp Spaniards don't do that. Americans aren't all like that. Or our people, right? All of these identities or even things that um, aren't necessarily identities, but ways that we perceive our image ourselves. Oh, I'm, I'm ugly. Um, I'm unlovable, right? We create an image of ourselves that say I'm unlovable, I'm unworthy, or then, or then we have that and we compensate. Oh, look how fucking great I am! I'm, I'm the, I'm a boss bitch. Uh, I'm a yes queen. You know, I'm, you know, whatever. All of these things. We, we start building this image of ourselves, and then, in a biblical sense, what we do is we start creating a false idol. And then we worship the false idol. And this is our persona, this image of ourself. And so the, the problem with that is that it's not real. So we're spending all of this time and energy worshiping, um, creating, improving. I call it sometimes not personal development, but persona development. We're developing a persona. Oh, I'm branded. Now I'm a this person. Oh, look how great I am now. Oh, look how more confident I am. All of this stuff. And then we want to portray it to the world. Then, then so we'll say things like, hi, I'm Andrew. I'm a best-selling award-winning author. I'm the, right? We do this kind of stuff so other people see us in a certain way. And the problem comes in. It's fine. You know, you have to brand. You have to do things like that. Problem comes in is when you identify with the image. It's when you think that that persona is really who you are. And so the, the problem, besides it not being who you are and not being real, is that it's not lovable. Nothing unreal can be loved. You can't love something that isn't real. And so what happens is, even if you manage to develop this amazing persona, right, becoming an award-winning author, all this stuff, right, millionaire, successful entrepreneur, a great husband, amazing lover, you know, whatever, is that even if you get that and people love it and you finally get everything you want, the problem is it's not you. People fall in love or approve that image you've created. And we do that. And what the result of that is that oftentimes we feel like an imposter, right? Imposter syndrome, feeling like a fraud. That's one of the huge reasons for that. Um, and then there's this sort of empty feeling, right? It's like, oh, yeah, I did it. Now what? You know, I've spent my whole life looking for my dad's approval, you know, trying to be this thing that my dad wanted. Now what? He still doesn't even love me. <laughs> and I just spent all this time and I don't even know who I am. So we abandon ourselves in the process. We don't really love ourselves. Instead of loving ourselves, we invest into this image. And then we go around life, right? Go around life. Here's my persona. Here's your persona. My hand, our hands, you know, my hands here is our true self, right? True, who we really are, then our persona. Who you really are, your persona. We send them out into the world and they talk to each other. And what happens is 
there's no access to who we really are. And so these personas, what they do is that they're designed to reduce vulnerability, right? They make us less vulnerable. They make us more uh, uh, acceptable in society, safer, protected. But when you block vulnerability, you also block intimacy. And so you have images of herself making love and interfacing and being in relationships. And these images have our stories, our mythologies, right? Our, all the things that we think about ourselves. And they come together in relationship. But very, uh, very rarely do the true selves come together. That vulnerable, authentic, open, intimate self coming coming together, uh, pun intended. Uh, and so the, the narcissism isn't just uh, about making kissy faces in the mirror. It's about this whole process, you know, that, that we create this identity and we spend all this time in self-help and development trying to build it up in order to feel lovable and accepted. Meanwhile, we're abandoning ourselves in the process and we are not vulnerable, so we don't have intimacy. And then we finally get it and then we don't know who we are, we feel like a fraud. That's one aspect of narcissism. There's other aspects where we objectify others and do this other stuff, but that's kind of one of the core fundamentally different ways of seeing narcissism. And when you see it that way, you say, oh, <laughs> so you're listening or watching this now, you may say, oh, I might be doing some of that. Okay, that's okay. It doesn't mean you are a narcissist. It just means these are narcissistic things um, that you've learned to do, right? They're usually survival responses. And so getting honest with ourselves, you know, that's the hard part. Being willing to see this about ourselves that, oh my God, maybe I'm the narcissist. Okay. And then, you know, healing that, seeing, you know, going into all the work to, to move through that. Getting to, to the core of who we are. <clears throat> yeah. Brilliant, Andrew. I love that. That, but that's the the point is, is that people miss that, right? They think about narcissists as being self obsessed. They think about the grandiose, the the egomaniac, all of those things. The way our culture talks about narcissism, but when and those are all probably narcissists, yeah. right? Yeah, that's real. That, and that those are also components of that. But like, what once you start to understand the roots of narcissism and what it comes from is actually the disconnect of our true self. Like we said at the top of our conversation, this that's. When we per create a persona like that, we're just creating more space exactly. for our true self. And that's the pain. And, and once you realize, though, when you see this, that all of us have these tendencies, right? Now, some of them, people truly do have narcissistic disorders and they become psychopaths. Like that really happens. But it's not, it's not because that person's setting out to be a psychopath. It's almost always like... I, Alice Miller, her work changed my life. The drama of the gifted child changed my life. And what, and I didn't realize it at the time, Andrew, but that was learning to separate our feelings and sacrifice our feelings to survive childhood is how she defines the drama of the gifted child. And so she actually did studies on uh, Hitler and Stalin and their childhoods. And you want to talk about some brutal, ruthless childhoods. Those men had horrible upbringings. Hitler killed his mother in her birth and his father held that against him and abused him and did all these terrible things. I'm not justifying what, sure. yeah. but the point is Hitler wasn't born and he was like, I'm going to go out and be an evil murdering maniac. Yeah. 
it was built around. And when he did it, he probably didn't even realize he was being evil. Yeah, he was doing it with good intentions. Like he thought he was doing what was right. How many the the path to hell is paved with good intentions, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the the whole idea is that it was the he never got a chance to come. He wanted to be an artist, right? Like his true. Instead, he became a dictator. Yeah. But like because the artist, his true self was never honored, never loved, never embraced. And that doesn't, ideally it happens by your parents. So you don't have to do any of this. You just go out into the world naturally loving and accepting who you are and you exist as you are in a very beautiful way. But so few of us have parents that have done this work themselves that create the space for that. But yeah, it, I've, I, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, I, yeah, I was just gonna say, I've every single client I've had not a single one who's had any form of childhood trauma, um, it didn't affect them. I mean, people don't realize how much affects us growing up. Um, even if you don't consider it trauma, stuff gets lodged in there. Yeah, that time your dad didn't show up and you took it personally, you made it mean that you weren't enough. He didn't abuse you. He didn't shove your head into the pavement every day that's still something that has been with you and is directing your life um so yeah that exactly that our parents you know create this environment and uh it does affect us Uh, it it is it sounds very cliche We, we don't have to be a victim to it but it does affect us it defines our life until it doesn't Exactly. And I, and I think that's a big part of it is, is we have the power. We've always had the power and the way out is within and, and learning to love ourselves and be true to who we are and, and really understanding what that means and letting go of these things. Because once you start to see this, you see the wounds in everyone. Our whole society is wounded. I mean, the people that are quote unquote successful. I mean, all you have to do is look to Hollywood. When you look to Hollywood, Marilyn Monroe is a prime example. I know RFP, dude, for real, um, is she was one of the most beloved actresses of all time. But inside, she never felt loved. And, and think about Robin Williams, brilliant comedian. Oh, everyone yeah. loves him. Commit suicide, right? Like, why does this happen if someone's quote unquote loved and adored and all these things? Because he never felt that love in himself. He never felt love for who he was. I'm sure. And. As you mentioned earlier, the more we do this, the more we build our persona up, the more we're dependent on that persona, the larger that gap gets, the the more pain we feel. So it actually becomes a prison. So imagine being the Kardashians. I feel sorry for them. Like they've literally created a prison. What are they going to do? Give up billions of dollars and all of that attention? I mean, if they want to be truly happy, (laughs) it's... But, you know, but it's, I mean, you bring up a really great point. Um, And this is, I see this. I have clients that come in that, you know, make millions and millions or more. And, um, you know, they're successful, you know, names probably have you've heard of that have gone through this work. And um, it's really interesting to see that there's a certain kind of success there's another kind of success of, of people that are very humble, that always have like a beginner's mind. Those are like my best clients, you know, ones that are very successful, but don't have that ego or persona. 
But man, when you get some people coming in, um, you know, I've had people where, oh gosh, there was this, there's this writer I worked with, super viral, you know, got millions and millions of followers, views, all this stuff. But it was based on suffering. It was based on their pain with the opposite sex. Mm. And we were in a session and I'm like, you can either be happy or you can keep doing the work how you think you're doing it. Um, you know, but that person decided to unfortunately keep doing what they were doing. Um, cause they didn't see, you know, that was more valuable to them than real joy that they were too addicted. Um, and for me, I've been very blessed that why I did all this work is cause I was homeless twice. My life wasn't working. Like I was in, it was a terrible position. Um, I wouldn't wish it upon anyone, but because I was so desperate multiple, multiple, multiple times. I had, I was, I was humbled. I didn't have to humble myself. I was humble. Life Nothing kicked else. you in the ass, didn't yeah, it? Yeah. Many, many, many times. <laughs> and so that, I was like, I, I have to trust this person who's showing me these things. Their life works so much better than mine. Mine doesn't work at all. Uh, I have to trust. I have to surrender to this because it's just not working. Other times people come in, they're like, I got millions of dollars. There's women around me somewhere. You know, I'm not with cancer. Um, I know some spirituality stuff. And then when they get on the call and I show them, I'm like, this is your ego. This is the narcissistic stuff. This is where you're betraying yourself. This is how you're taking yourself out, your glass ceiling on business. Um, you know, their ego just kicks it. it you know, there's this, who are you? Um, and yeah, some a lot of times it's harder to stop suffering when life is working. Mm. Uh, and when it's working very well, you have some kind of success. Uh, it's much harder to give up a million dollars a year than it is to give up $1,000 a month. Andrew, you know, it's, I love that you say that because I've actually said that quite a bit in, in some of the content that I've created is just actually suffering and struggling without success. Lacking of success and doing this work is actually a blessing. I've told my wife many a times that had I achieved the success that I've desired for the majority of my life financially earlier on in my journey, I would be dead. I would be, yeah. I would be addicted. I mean, I would just yeah. be sleeping with women. I would be boozing. I would be partying. I would, I would be nothing than I am today. Yeah. And that money amplifies your current. You know, exactly. It's a volume knob for who yep. you, who you exactly. currently are yep. operating as. Yeah. And I don't, and it's, it's interesting though, because we say the word big ego, he's got a big ego. She's got a big ego. It's actually, they have a fragile, tiny ego. And that's why like you can't, if, yeah. if, because when you're centered in yourself, you don't give a fuck what anyone thinks. Like you, you really don't. I mean, to the extent of sometimes it stings, right? It doesn't mean we don't feel like things can hurt, but I define who I, I am, what I am. Someone else doesn't define me. and so. Yeah, we we still feel it without right. giving it meaning, exactly personally. Because because like, yeah. I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that think I'm arrogant, that have a big ego, oh, or whatever it is. They're gonna say that about both of us. Yeah, about like yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, who do you think you are to know something? Well, I know something. Do I know everything? No, but I know something. Exactly. Sure. Okay. Does it mean anything about me? No. Maybe it, Maybe what I know, I don't know. Okay, that's fine too. But I don't wrap up my whole identity and sense of self around it or use what other people do to give meaning. Someone says very hate, something very hateful to me. I often, depending on the source, you know, I've, I've had a friend who just recently has said very hateful things. Um, and I took a lot of time, said, all right, what, what's the truth in this? Um, and publicly, I haven't talked to him in a couple of years. Maybe he'll come across this. I, I doubt it, but um, yeah, he, he came across actually some of these clips that I have on the internet and just, just said very, very nasty things. It wasn't, and this is somebody that's given me feedback before. This wasn't feedback. This was attack. It was, mm. it was hateful. It was petty. It was spiteful. It was cruel. It was me. And so I sat with that and I, I went in I said, you know, is there something true in here? I asked my girlfriend, I said, take a look at this. You know, I asked people that love me, that I care about, you know, tell me the truth. Is there something true in here? Because if I'm doing something that's causing pain to somebody, I want to know. I don't want it. So it's caring, but it, it's different. It's not caring about what other people think about you, but it's also not, not caring. Does exactly. that make sense? It does. Right? Because because your life's not just about you. It's really easy to be to to turn that into a narcissistic thing and not and be like, oh, I don't need anybody. Nobody else's opinion matters. But it does matter, but I don't need to take it personal. Uh and so I you know I go in and look at that and you know see what's something in there and see what's not. And uh, you know, the conclusion was, you know, that person is just in a lot of pain. Uh you know, that, that does not come from love. For someone to have done that, they must have been in tremendous pain. So it still hurt, um, but it didn't take me out. You know, it was designed to take me out. It didn't take me out because I have, you know, com compassion because that person's in a lot of pain. You know, someone that loved me and maybe saw I was doing something that was off, they would just say, hey, you know, you're, you're doing something a little off here. Um, they wouldn't come at you attacking yeah, hatefully and being yeah. very bitter. like. And I, I love that, Andrew, because it is, because you're right. It's not, we're not, we're, man is not an island. That is absolutely true. We're all interconnected. Like we need each other for everything. Like we yeah. get food, all the, all the things in life that we enjoy, cars, everything that comes from somebody else. So right. like we have to recognize that we are connected, but you, you're said a powerful thing though, in the sense that when we are critiqued or given criticism or even harsh feedback seeking truth in those things is like that's the the loving humble thing to do actually is it's all right you did that you went around and is there truth in this what this person's saying am i doing something that's causing harm do i need to adjust the way i'm thinking about some of these things like that's a humble approach like that's a loving approach but if you can do that honestly and and sit with that you can grow you can learn from it but that's often what isn't happens, right? We start fighting with each other. We start defending our positions. Our, our egos start battling with one another. Um, you know, I, I used to do, I was, I did a political podcast and, and YouTube channel many a years ago. Horrible. I was miserable. It's toxic. Yeah. I hated it. 
Um, but I used to do that stuff all the time, fighting with people on Twitter. I, I comment on things now. I post regularly. People say mean stuff to me all the time now. Not all the time, but frequently. But I look at it just like you were saying. How if 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 you're genuinely in a good place, how could you possibly go online and start screaming at a stranger and telling them how horrible a person they are? <laughs> If you're really coming from a good place, like yeah. it's a reflection of that state. And, and I hate that I'm jumping beyond that because I want there's a few things that we're skipping here that I wanted to talk about. But because I think it's important, the the reflection, the bullying component is a reflection of your own internal pain. And, and we avoid the work when we go out and, and we attack exactly like your friend did or I guess your ex friend yeah. or he's yeah. still maybe a friend to you or you, the door's open. But I don't know. Well, Maybe not, but, um, but I think that's, it's important to realize that the way we are, especially emotionally charged things, if we're throwing that out at other people, visceral anger at other people or out there, like that's something going on inside yeah. us that is a signal that we need to look to. Yeah. And that's, that's how I define a trigger, right? We're, we're hearing this in these past, I don't know, five or 10 years, trigger, trigger, trigger warning, trigger, trigger, trigger. Yeah. And most of the time it's used in a, in a really victim-y, disempowering way. Mm -hmm. You know, like, we're going to be talking about relationships. Trigger warning. No, no. If, if you can't talk, if you can't listen to something about relationships, you know, we don't need to coddle you. Now, there's a lot of coddling. There's a lot of enabling. Now, if you're talking about something that, you know, it's like a PTSD thing, say, yeah, maybe, maybe a heads up. You know, you, you let people know. But, you know, that's fine and fair. Um, but the, the amount of enabling people do um, for this stuff is very disempowering. And the reason why is because triggers aren't a bad thing. They're exactly what you said. They're, uh, they're, they're directional a light towards what needs healing. Signals. Yeah, exactly. It's showing you what needs to be healed. Because if I pick up this glass... And which is a really nice glass, by the way. I love those. I love those little, the, they, it's like yeah, a copper, or is that a mug? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a cop. I guess it's not glass. I, yeah, copper. Copper, I love the copper, copper mug. Cup. Yeah. Yep. Um, the, and there's no alcohol in it. People think there's like a, I don't know. There's some, I'm, I, I don't drink. drinking water or tea or something. Yeah. No, it's just water. Yeah. yeah. But people, every, I, I've gotten on these calls and they're like, Oh, starting early today. Well, it's mules. Usually yeah. people drink mules in them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you I don't come know. off to me as a the noon drinker type, but yeah. But but if I brought it up and you thought that association and you were maybe an alcoholic or you you had a fear or something and, it, you know, you could start projecting or you could have been upset, you know, that, you know, whatever. It doesn't make you wrong. It doesn't make you bad that you had that trigger. It's showing you that there's something there to heal. There's something there to look at, to take re responsibility for. It's not victim blaming. I'm not saying, oh, you're bad or no, this whole victim blaming thing. Eh, you know, it's it's very superficial. You know, that that that's a very minor thing. When we're talking in a therapeutic sense, it's not victim blaming. It's saying, this is in you. I'm not doing it. I just literally took a drink of water. I'm certain that I did nothing to do, you know, to cause you pain. And so if you're feeling it, that means there's something within you existing already. Now, this requires honesty. It requires a certain level of cognition and maturity to be able to have that discernment. Did somebody lifting that glass up really mean to hurt me? No. 
if you can't tell that difference, you have bigger things to, to address. You know, it's not too hard if you just really take a moment and say, you know what? Yeah, there's something inside of me. Let's take a look. And so each of those triggers for people could be an opportunity to heal, to grow, to learn, to have vulnerability and intimacy uh, and to transform. But instead, when you enable it, when you, ho you, you hobble people and, um, you know, you, you actually take away their power. Um, and it, so that, that goes more to the therapeutic aspect. But if you think about this for yourself, all right, you have, you know, you're, you're being really angry about something that if you can think logically, shouldn't create it. Now, if there's something that should create it, like if somebody just punched you in, in the face and is arguing with you, yeah, maybe uh, I don't necessarily say that's the right thing to do, but that's not a trigger. That's, that's a live emotion. That's, that's something that's happening in real time. And so you feel it and move through it. Um, but these triggers are things that we don't want to feel, things that have been unresolved, traumas or suppressed. Um, and so what you said is, is just great. You know, you, you look at those things. Well, and it's that the last bit there too, Andrew, about even, even deep emotion. I, I've talked to friends about this too. Like my buddy got super angry and he told me the story, his, his property management company was dicking him around about the plumbing. He was being nice for weeks and, and they weren't doing anything. And then but this me, maybe good. You not, a lot my, of us. Mine, mine was months. Mine was seven oh, months. So similar. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So then, well, then you you're going to be able to relate to this story because he told you know he was telling us a story. We were part of a coaching pod together, and he was like, you know, I just lost my shit, and and but ironically they did it, and he was feeling bad, and he was talking about beating himself up for losing his stuff, and I was like, Matt, in at points in life. All emotions have some validity. And if somebody has been dishonoring you and your family, your wife, you don't have a working toilet. They've been misleading you, lying to you, bullshitting you. Like, and for months, bro, getting angry and letting them know you're not being nice guy anymore is a valid response. Yep. But if you're just flying off the handle at every little thing, someone's trying to help you and you're a dick, that's yep. a very different scenario. Yeah, exactly. but, so that's why you can't make blank statements. Yep. Anger is bad, right? Like we have to honor the moment and the feelings and being truthful to where we are. That's again, coming back to our true expression, but it's, that's the nuance of this is you can't make logical statements and boxes. Yeah, okay. Anger's bad. Yeah. It, it's, it's dangerous. It, but every, every, everything serves a, a purpose. Um, and w what ends up happening is people say anger is bad. And so they suppress it. So no, here's well, and here's the thing. It's about feeling it. It's not about acting it out. There's a lot of times I get angry and I let myself feel the anger. And in about two minutes, it's through and it's gone. I'm not acting it out. I'm not at the effect of it. This is what happens. We get angry if we're out of, here's, here's, here's the truth. If we are out of relationship with the anger, that's when bad things happen. Mm -hmm. If we're in, in relationship with the anger, it means it's not running us. We feel the anger, but we're in relationship with it. We're going to make a different choice than if it ran us, right? Oftentimes exactly. I feel the anger and I'm aware of it. And I say, give me a second. We're really fucking pissed right now. I don't suppress it. I'm not clamping it. You know, I, I, I let it out. I feel it without judgment because we often judge these emotions and then suppress it. Then it gets yep. even more distorted. We're even further away. 
It's not about being perfect, right? It's not about you should never feel these things. Someone is doing that. That anger is there to tell you something. It's information. Understand emotions or energy emotion. They're there to teach you something. It's informing you about something. Your emotional state is a feedback loop. It's telling you something's going on. Whether that's live in person, real, or something past that's unresolved, um, or something that's in your head, you're distorting it, right? Maybe you're distorting it because of your beliefs in your head. So the, our, our emotions are, are a guidance system, mm -hmm. um, but we don't use it that way. We use it a reactivity. We dissociate from it, act it out, get hysterical. We do all this other stuff. So feeling anger is different than getting angry, lashing out at people, doing all this other stuff. Totally. So it, take, it takes some maturity. It takes a, a, a little higher level of thinking and understanding to understand there's nuance. And, but once you actually get that nuance, you're like, oh, this isn't nuance at all. It's like, this is me just acting out or this is me feeling it. Yep. And when you can get into relationship with all of that stuff, that's, that goes into the shadow work. And that's where you can start integrating um, the resources because the anger, if you suppress that and judge it, you may find that your ability to <clears throat> get violent you're not able to get violent anymore. Well, what if someone's coming up to you trying to murder you and your family and you need to protect yourself and unfortunately perhaps have to um, defend yourself and take their life? You have to be in relationship or else you're not going to be able to do that. You're going to be scared or terrified and whatever. So the shadow work, shadow work doesn't mean Feeling the anger and that being permission to go out and harm people. It means getting into relationship with it, to heal it, to regain those resources and to learn, to listen to what it's trying to inform you of. Exactly. Dude, it's, and it's, it's honoring it, isn't it, Andrew? Yep. It's honoring those things. Yeah. And, and you said it a second ago, we, we live in a very judgmental society, which is interesting to me that we live in a very secular world where there is no God and it's just, you know, random chaos. But everyone's so damn judgmental, though, man. Everyone is so critical and harsh. And it's, and for me, in a lot of ways, that's us just trying to now play the judge and jury. And I'm going to hammer it. And, and, or it's your body language changed a little bit. I'm curious yeah, what you're thinking yeah, about this. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Because if you don't have, if you're not plugged into the truth with a capital T, you have to do all of this stuff to protect yourself. So if if so for example I I am plugged into a greater truth than myself and my ego the laws of man religions all this stuff I'm plugged into to a greater truth I'm I'm not really affected by the bullshit the government's doing you know here or there or this person is doing there I don't have to control everybody so I don't get offended mm. uh, and so when when people are doing that, it's they they lack a trust. They lack a trust in themselves, something greater than themselves. They lack a trust in other people. The people that are going around judging and doing all of that are based in fear. Because mm -hmm. I know when I judge, I know one of the biggest reasons I judge is to keep things out in a way. It's like I'm judging that you, exactly. It. You're like, yep, I'm judging that in you because I don't want that in me. Mm. But it probably is telling me I have it somewhere in me. 
and I don't want to be reminded of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, but it's interesting. You talk about the the secular aspect of it, of the lack of, um, you know, spirituality, uh, because yeah, if you're, if you're not plugged into it, oh, well, that's what it is. Yeah. If, if you can't trust that you rely on your ego to control everything and the ego is going to say in, in order, I will make you safe, but in order to have that safety, I need control. I'm going to control everything. And so safety based in control is false. It is not safety. When you have to go around controlling everything you say and other people say and do in order to feel safe, you are actually saying you are not safe. Um, and so I think that having that spiritual component um, is very related to that. That's brilliant, man. And that's also precisely why I don't trust the government because that same concept is manipulated. It's yeah. the same concept, but at a societal level. Yep. Trust me, I'll keep you safe, but you have to surrender your sovereignty. Exactly. Yeah. But I'll keep you safe. Trust me. Yep. It's like, but it's, it's interesting because, and I'm glad we're, because we did. I'm gonna, uh, sorry, I want to interrupt you there. Because um, there's, I think it's, I don't know. I think it was Franklin or, um, oh gosh. It was Franklin. Franklin. I know what you're going to say. I'm yeah. almost certain the quote you're going to say, but. I, I yeah, yeah. Those, those that relinquish their freedom for safety deserve neither. That's Franklin, I, it, yep. Yeah, it's, it's paraphrased. I think it, it was something in a different context, but even the, the paraphrase is, is great. You know? And the ego does this. So here's the thing. This isn't just a government thing. As above, so below. As within, so without. All the stuff that you see happening in the world, it's a macrocosm. Well, it's, it's kind of the, the mesocosm, but it's, it's the macrocosm of what's happening in here. And so you can see the things that are playing out in the world stage also play out within ourselves, <laughs> you know, so you, you hand over your, the control and the freedom to your ego for safety. Well, what does that mean? Okay. We're talking very vague. It means that when you meet somebody, you're closed off, right? You, you put walls up. You, you don't trust other people until they prove that they're trustable, right? You do all of these things to create all these control structures because you don't feel safe. So that's literally what's happening. And what happens is you're creating an environment that's actually not safe because mm-hmm. anybody who's safe doesn't want to be in a place like that because I'm safe. I trust myself. I don't want to be controlled. I don't need to control you in order to feel safe. And so you see that practically this, you know, this stuff shows up in everything that we do. Once you start seeing it, man, it's everywhere. And that's also the, the scary component of, of the power of being able to step back and observe this stuff is you can see this stuff happening in real time, though. And it is, I love that you said that because it, it's, it's the reflection of how unsafe people feel within themselves. Because all of this, like, if people are that harsh and critical of others, they're only that much more harsh and critical of themselves. There's such a lack of trust within themselves. And it creates, and it's all illusion based because no one create can create the safety that we're promised outside of ourselves. It can only come from within. And I know you know that. And I know that because I walked the path where I was, I thought that you could do it the other way and you can't, you, you just can't, it doesn't work. It's you're buying in, you're now living 
true to that persona, which is the thing that isn't eternal. It doesn't last. It's not, it's, we've already talked about it enough, but it's wild though, because this, and something that I love about your perspective on victimhood and the, the, is that you, you look at it as a perspective, a lens. And that's something that I talk a lot about on my show is the power of shifting our perspective and having a type of perspective will influence everything that we experience in life. And so when we take on the, the victim mentality, the perspective of a, of a victim, everything is now colored from that yeah. lens. And that's a dangerous, it's also miserable. That's why people are miserable. Yeah. But um, let, yep. let's dig into some of that, Andrew, if that's cool. And dude, we're getting, I, I, one thing we're going to do, and this is, I'm going to, I'm going to lob something out there because I, I like to, because it's going to be in the public space at some point. One day, my friend, I will have a podcast studio and in the future, in the future, when you're ki killing it, continuing to ki kill it, and I'm doing my thing as well, we will sit down together in my podcast studio and have a, a full, like, we're going to keep building on this because, man, it's so much fun. I can't believe we're almost at. Yeah. Hours, right? Yeah. We're, yeah. We're going to have to do a, a round two and wrap up. We will. Yep. Yeah. But so victim mentality, looking at it from that lens, like, let's talk about some of that. So I think one of the things that I, I love about, or like the focal point that I wrote here is a lack of responsibility and, and how that ties into victim mentality. Like what, what does that mean to you, Andrew? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of the antithesis. It's the remedy. Um, it's, it's the poison and the cure in the sense that a victim doesn't want to take responsibility. And so when they're presented with responsibility, it feels poisonous, but it's the cure. So re responsibility is not self-blame. It's taking ownership, right? So it's taking ownership. A victim relinquishes ownership, right? It's just somebody else did it. It's somebody else's responsibility. They point a finger outside themselves. But a victim can also point it to themselves. Oh, I'm such a this. Oh, I can't ever do it right. Oh, well, my ego does this. Oh, my body, you know, poor me, right? Self-blame isn't self-responsibility either. Mm -mm. The woe is me, right? Yeah. Woe is me. Yeah. And, and victim blaming isn't the same as telling a victim to take responsibility either. Mm -hmm. You're not blaming the victim. You're saying you're being a victim. You have a place here to take responsibility. It doesn't absolve the, let's say, perpetrator, whether imagined or real, you know, because there are very real perpetrators that we can be victims to. It doesn't absolve them of anything. You taking responsibility for your part or how you responded to it or how you got there doesn't absolve someone who's done something bad to you of their part. And that's where a lot of people, I think, start freaking out because they're like, oh, well, if, if it wasn't them and it was me, but they did this to me and you know, it just creates such, you know, they, they just go into this panic. That's um, more binary thinking too, isn't it? It's living yeah. in that kind of binary perspective that it's, it's the this or that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and it just, it's not true. It doesn't work. You know, both people had, have responsibility. You know, everyone that shows up into a space has a certain responsibility of it. Um, and so going through that process of finding where we've 
abdicated our responsibility and given up our ownership of what happened, the process of reclaiming all of that, responsibility is reclamation, reclaiming how we've abandoned ourselves and given our power away, that's how we stop being a victim. It doesn't undo something terrible that may have happened to us, but it takes all of our power back. Okay, this person did this thing and they did it to me. There was nothing I could do about it. Okay. Now what? Now what? Or how did I get them to do that to me? Or how did I get myself in a situation where that happens? Right? Doesn't, again, you go to a club and, and maybe, you know, somebody does something inappropriate to you there. And you can blame them and say all men or women are terrible and awful or whatever. Taking responsibility doesn't undo it. They still have that karma, right? They still did an inappropriate thing. And you showed up to be there. And you showed up and, you know, did what you did. So you take responsibility for that part. You can't take responsibility for their part. You can't do anything about them. The other option is to be a victim to it and be miserable and give your power away and say, those other people have more power than you do. That's the alternative. And that's a, 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 a wonderful, comfortable place where you do no wrong and everything is everyone else's fault. Except nothing in your life will change because it's up to somebody else to do it. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point. It's not about blame. It's not about any of this weird stuff. It's simply saying that if you want something to change in your life, it has to be something that you own. If somebody has a, a, a car in their driveway, you know, and it's rusting and it looks ugly, you can't go over and remove it. It's theirs, right? They have to do it. They're the owner. So if you want to change something in your life, if you want to remove some of the rust on your car, it must be something that you own because you can only uh, change what you own. And so that's the whole point of it. It's not about blaming or pointing fingers. It's about reclaiming the power, owning it so you can make a new choice. So you do not have to be at the effect of life anymore. You can be the cause of your life rather than a victim to circumstance. Man, if that position is so empowering to, to take ownership of your response to scenarios, like the situation you said, and there's a quote in your book by Viktor Frankl that talks about this and his experience in the Holocaust yeah. is he, because he learned firsthand what it looks like to take everything from a human, everything possible from a human physically degrade them. I mean, you want to talk about degradation, my goodness. But the one thing that he focused on was the one thing you can't take from another man is their choice, their response, their perspective to situations. And that's the power that we hold. You can come from brutal circumstances, Andrew, right? But you can choose to respond to those circumstances and, and go from there based on that response. That's it. Like we don't, that's the power that we hold. Or you can give all your power away and say, I can't do anything about it. I can't change anything. This is what I did. Or you can pull back and go, you know what? That was an awful situation. I'll never, I'll do everything in my power to never allow that to happen again. And these are the things that I'm going to do. I'm going to be more mindful about the places that I go. I'm going to be mindful about the drinks that I have. I'm going to be mindful about the people that I'm around. I'm going to be mindful about the way I'm presenting myself to the world. 
Like those are things that you can reclaim your power and move forward and allow us, even in horrible situations where you yep. are truly a victim, to be a victor over those circumstances. That's the hero's journey. And I'm I'm so bummed. I know we got to wrap here because it's already but but because the the where you're rolling into at this point in your book is is moving into more of the heroic journey as opposed to the victim side. And yeah. it's just so important to realize like how exciting it is to recognize that we hold the power. We are the heroes that we seek and we can overcome any circumstances if we're willing to embrace and hold that power that lives within us. But we just got to open to it. We've got to be vulnerable and we've got to embrace all that we are. To me, that's that's living true to our, our true selves. Well, dang, dude, I didn't, I, did I, did we kind of just, did I, I don't want to like, but I, that kind of feels like a natural stopping point, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it feels perfect. So, Andrew, based on what we've talked about so far, is there anything you'd like to add to the conversation? I mean, ba- this has been so much fun, man. Yeah, so dude, fun. I, yeah, if, <laughs> I, I could keep going. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely have to do a part two. Um, yeah, because we didn't even get into to the work that you do, like yeah, how you yeah. actually implement these changes. And but I think that, and I was saying, I was leading, I was uh, sharing something earlier. And when I was young, how much feeling I had. But what changed for me as I've gotten older is I've developed my intellectual capacity to navigate the feeling component because we can't be one without the other. We we have we become whole when we honor both of these sides. And so it's important to understand these concepts at a high level and then start applying them, though, because without the intellectual wisdom, it's hard to take action and change things and, and move without understanding. So in our next episode together we'll get through a little bit of the hero's journey and then start to get into actually what you do um in your practice and also though i want to give you a moment to share a little bit about what you do because if anybody would love to work with you or or reach out to you or or get involved with your work i'd I'd love for you to to share how they can do that and and just kind of give your parting message if you will yeah um i think if you've liked these ideas um you should uh, pick up a copy of my book uh, Awaken to Your True Self, Why You're Still Stuck and How to Break Through by myself, Andrew Daniel. My dang. Um, there we go. The blurry. Let's see. It's coming back. Yeah, there, there you there go. go. Yep. Um, so yeah, that would be a great first start if you like that stuff. Um, you know, there's any openings to to, to work together. Um, the work I do is very, very different. Um, so I recommend anybody that wants to actually work with me to to read the book first because it really prepares you. Everything that we've talked about, um, pretty much, yeah, pretty much everything we've talked about is in the book and is within just the first, you know, few chapters. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a, a book. deep book, man. It's, yeah. it's a deep. I, 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 was, I was surprised. I read a lot. I was, I was taking a ton of notes. There were so many moments where I'm like, ah, yes, yes, Andrew, yes. Like, because... I just so much resonate with my own journey and, and I, which I'm so thankful we were able to do this. But if, if you are struggling and you're, you're, you don't, these concepts are still blurry or you're, you're in that suffering state, man, Andrew's work, his book, I can tell you, it will take you so much further in a way that I just, just the book alone. I can't imagine actually working with you, Andrew, one-on-one. Cause it's like, I, we didn't even get into the cinematic stuff. Yeah. Like there's so much, dude. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, 
So I'm going to link to everything. I'm going to link to your site. I'll link to your book. Obviously, um, I look forward to our part two of our conversation. And I promise you, I'm going to make good on that live in-person <laughs> discussion. Wait. Maybe five years from now, seven years, Andrew. I don't know when, but oh, looking at the next year. Well, well, <laughs> meaning the um, good point. I love that. I love it. You know what? That's let's get him and get him a little friskier. I like getting that because I wanted that studio, man. I want to sit in person. Seven years. Man, that's I know. Difficult. I'm just, just all, putting it out there. My, I'm going to have all new cells at that point. I'm going to be a different well, person. All my cells are going to be rotated in seven years. Well, then you know what? You challenged me a year. I like it. I like it. I'm going to try and make it happen in a year then. When we, how about this? When we, when we purchase our new home in the Charlotte area at some point on Lake Norman, my wife and I have been envisioning this. We're going to build a studio in there. You can come down here to, to North Carolina. We can go out on the lake and we can oh, have a great Perfect. Great I can't wait. Yeah. Well, listen. Andrew, I really appreciate your time, brother. It's been a true pleasure. I will link to your work. So if anybody wants to check you out, they can go to andrewdaniel.org, right? That's your main website. Andrewdaniel.org. Yep. And then the the book is, again, Awaken to Your True Self, Why You're Still Stuck and How to Break Through. So I certainly appreciate your time, brother. I look forward to a chat in the future. Thanks, And for all you listeners out there, I'll be seeing you soon. Peace, y'all. Thank you for listening to Order Within. If you found the episode helpful, please consider sharing, rating, and subscribing. New episodes will be released every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Until next time, y'all.